Hey, how many of y'all went to the debate at UCF uh, this Thursday between Christopher Hitchens, uh, who uh, uh, is an atheist? He was debating um, uh, D'Souza, uh, Dinesh D'Souza. Anybody go uh, to UCF and see the debate between a atheist and a Christian? Um, a pretty amazing debate. Uh, I know that my own son went and enjoyed it. Uh, if you didn't go to the debate, you can still get their arguments. Christopher Hitchens has written a book called God is Not Great. And so if you want to hear his arguments, uh, you could read this book. And let me tell you, as Christians, I think we need to know them. I think we need to know their arguments. We need to know what they're thinking about. Uh, D'Souza has a book, What's So Great About Christianity? So I, I really en- encourage each one of us as God's family to know what the world thinks, to know about this debate. And I've heard that Hitchens was ranked number five in the top 100 uh, uh, intellectuals, public intellectuals. Is there a difference, by the way, between public and private intellectuals? <laughs> I, I think I'm on the private intellectual list. I'm pretty sure. I really am. Maybe way up there. Um, but he was ranked number five out of a top 100 public uh, uh, intellectuals in the world. Now, I want to know, uh, how do they rank that? Is it, is it as complicated as the BCS rankings? I mean, it, those of you who don't know football missed that one, and that was a good one. But Hey, who won? Who won? Who won? Well, listen... You know that if you went there, and you went there as an atheist or an agnostic, you said, Hitchens won, man. I mean, he was sound, and he knew his stuff, and he was really good, and he was collected, and he, he kind of looked cool. And you know what he had going for him? He's British. He's got that accent, you know? And so, um, well, I, I guess our man D'Souza is Indian. He had that accent going for him. But who won? And I guarantee you that, that if you went there as an atheist, unless... By miraculous calling, God brought you to himself that day, and we hope he did, uh, to many. They would say Hitchens won. For the Christian, for all of us, we're like, well, well, D'Souza won. He won. I mean, it was great. He was out there. He had truth, and God's truth. We know he won. But listen, no matter who we argue, won or lost, what we really need to rejoice and celebrate in the reality that God on Thursday night wasn't up in heaven saying like this, oh man, come on, D'Souza, don't mess this one up. Man, I sure hope we win this one. Oh, this Hitchens guy is so smart. Oh no, God was not frustrated Thursday night. Our immutable, unchanging, all-knowing God wins. Christ's kingdom has come. Christ's kingdom will come again. And now you and I as His children by the grace of God who see the wisdom of God in the face of God's unique Son, Christ Jesus, we now have the privilege to live out the kingdom values of the winning King of Kings and Lord of Lords. We now get to walk in a manner that demonstrates to the world that King Jesus is alive. He's doing well. His kingdom has come. His rule and reign has started. And one day it will be complete. And I can't wait for the day that every knee will bow. Every tongue will confess that our King, our Savior, God's unique Son, Jesus, He wins. And He won. 
And he continues to win. And here's the amazing thing about how we're to live our lives now. It's so important for those of us, by God's grace, or His children, to walk in a manner worthy of victory. Or basically, when he talks about walk, he's talking about our lifestyle. Our lives now should reflect a reality that Jesus does win, that He is King, and we now walk in a kingdom manner that advances Christ's kingdom. When we think about our vision, and we try to talk about that a lot here at Orangewood, when we think about the vision that God has given us for transformation, it's really it's an extension of the Lord's prayer that, that God's kingdom will come, that God's will will be done on earth as it is in heaven. The vision that we will see Central Florida and the world transformed into the kingdom of God through the power of the gospel. That is our prayer. And everything we do is, God, may your kingdom come. May your will be done. May you, Jesus, like you came and said, I've come to make all things new. You start with us. Make all things new through us. So now, with that vision, our mission is to equip one another, to equip you, God's family, to be kingdom ambassadors so that you can now walk in a manner worthy of that calling. Our mission now together is to equip one another to walk worthy of victory. He didn't call me to to, uh, debate Hitchens. And I'm very grateful. If I get that call, I'll stand proudly for Jesus. But he gave me a greater calling. To be one of you pointing each other to Jesus and say, let us walk worthy of the King who won. Let us now walk in wisdom. That's Paul's words for us today. As we continue on this, he's told us uh, to walk in a manner worthy of this great gospel. And as we look today at God's word, let's look together at Ephesians 5, verses 15 through 21. Mindful that this is God's holy and errant word. Uh, many, like Hitchens, would say, it's crazy. It's a book. It's, it's full of errors. It can't lead you to truth. But we know that God has breathed his very being into this. He's preserved this for us. We can trust it. We are under its authority by God's grace. So let's give it the respect and, and authority that we deserve to show. And let's stand together as we read God's holy word to get today. God's Word, Ephesians 5, verses 15 through 21. Look carefully, then, how you walk or how you live, not as unwise, but as wise, making the best use of the time, because the days are evil. Therefore, do not be foolish, but understand what the will of the Lord is. And do not get drunk with wine, for this is debauchery. But be filled with the Spirit, addressing one another in psalms and hymns and spiritual songs, singing and making melody to the Lord with all your heart, giving thanks always for everything to God the Father in the name of our Lord Jesus Christ, submitting to one another out of reverence for Christ. Let us pray. Oh, Father God, because you love us and because we are yours and because this, Father, is your world and this, Jesus, is your church, would you, Father, send the Spirit of Jesus into this room so that we could hear supernaturally the words of Jesus, our Messiah, your unique Son. God, it's abundantly clear. We don't need my words. They're fallible. So God, speak through a broken sinner. 
Father, we ask that the Spirit of the living God would come into this room in such power that You would shine, Spirit, into our dark minds. That, Spirit of the living God, You would break our calloused, sinful, unbelieving hearts so that our hearts will beat for You. That, Spirit of the living God, that You will cause us and give us the joy to walk in wisdom. The wisdom that comes from imitating Christ. The wisdom that comes from walking in the light of Christ. Because Christ is our wisdom. Because Christ is our light. Because Christ is our life. Because Christ is our joy. Come and speak clearly to us. The things that contain the good news of the Gospel make us more like Christ through those things. The things that are wrong or merely my opinion, may they quickly fall away and be forgotten. We pray all this in Christ's powerful name. Amen. You may be seated. The first thing that Paul is going to call us to in Ephesians 5.15 is that we are to walk, we are to live as wise, not as unwise. That we are not to be foolish. That God says, now that I have rescued you, I have redeemed you, I have loved you, now you are to walk and live your life in a manner that portrays my love, my grace, my forgiveness, and my wisdom. But where I want to begin with you today, Orangewood, where I want to begin with you today, family, is very, very important. And it's this. If you are a child of God, if you by God's grace have come to Jesus Christ as your Lord and Savior, you ready for this amazing true revelation? God does not see you as a fool. God sees you as wise in His eyes. The broken like us, the continually stumbling like us, by God's grace through Christ, we have to get the picture that there is from heaven looking on His children. And it is this, that we are no fools in God's eyes. That we are His family. And He is happy with us and loves us. If you have your Bibles, turn with me to 1 Corinthians chapter 1. And Paul is going to here unpack the difference between the wisdom of the world, no matter what ranking you have, and the wisdom of Christianity and Christ. And he's going to lay them side by side. And we're going to see God's amazing truth and how he sees us. Why? Because we, the wise in Christ, need to walk carefully. Let us read again together. Let me read as, as you read along silently. I'm sorry, this is not on the screen for you. First uh, Corinthians 1, verses 18 and following. For the word of the cross is folly for those who are perishing. But to us who are being saved, it is the power of God. For it is written, I will destroy the wisdom of the wise, and the discernment of the discerning I will thwart. Where is the one who is wise? Where is the scribe? Where is the debater of this age? Has God made foolish the wisdom of the world. For since in the wisdom of the world, for, for since in the wisdom of God, the world did not know God through wisdom. It pleased God through the folly of what we preach to save those who believe. For the Jews demand signs and Greeks seek wisdom. But we 
preach Christ crucified. And may I preach nothing less. A stumbling block to the Jews and folly to the Gentiles. But to those who are called, both Jews and Greeks, Christ, the power of God, and the wisdom of God. For the foolishness of God is wiser than any man. And the weakness of God is stronger than men. Is there an amen? Amen. For consider your calling, brothers, and this is what we're doing today. Not many among you were wise according to worldly standards. Not many were powerful. Not many were of noble birth. But God chose what is foolish in the world to shame the wise. God chose what is weak in the world to shame the strong. God chose what is low and despised in the world, even things that are not, to bring to nothing the things that are, so that no human being might boast in the presence of God. He, God, is the source of your life in Christ Jesus, whom God made our wisdom and our righteousness and sanctification and redemption. Therefore it is written, Let the one who boasts, boast in the Lord. God will never see His children as fools. Why? By God's grace, He has given us the ability to see Jesus as He rightly is, not as a liar, not as a lunatic, but as Lord of lords and King of kings. We've embraced Him as Savior. And now the wisdom of God, Christ our Savior. He is our wisdom and we are no fools. Listen, in the Father's eyes by His grace, we were smart enough to say we need Jesus. And that is His wisdom shining upon us. And now He says, walk carefully. The wise now walk carefully. When He talks about walk, it talks about it throughout this book. Our, our life, our walk. And the first thing is this. Walking worthy of our calling. And by the way, if you want to follow along in your bulletin, there's an outline that we're going through right now. Walking worthy of our calling. What does that mean, our calling? I love what the Westminster Confession of Faith does in the shorter catechism telling us about our calling. It says this, that Jesus is the only Savior of the whole world. That's true. And there's a call to the whole world. The entire world hears it. Repent, turn from your sins, and embrace Jesus Christ. But the writer of Ephesians, through the inspiration of the Holy Spirit, the Apostle Paul, when he is going to talk about our calling, he is going to talk about a unique calling. What we have come to term as theologians and pastors, effectual calling. What is our effectual calling? It's a, it's a unique call that Jesus has for His sheep. In John 10, he says, I am the good shepherd. The sheep hear my call. They know me because I know them. And they will hear my voice. I'll lose none of them. And here's what the Westminster Confession of Faith says about our effectual calling. Effectual calling is the working of God's Spirit, whereby convincing of us, convincing us of our sin and ministry, sin and misery. Easy for me to say. The work of the Spirit, whereby convincing us of our sin and misery. If we didn't have God's unique calling in our lives, we wouldn't be convicted that we're sinners. We wouldn't even be convicted that we are in misery. God has to uniquely call us and give us the ability even to see the truth about ourselves. 
As Paul will write, we're dead in our trespasses and sins. We're without hope in Christ. By nature, we are children of wrath. And God's unique, special calling in our lives is a way that we see the truth that we are in sin. We are enslaved to that. We are in misery, deserving God's wrath and displeasure. That He enlightens our mind in the knowledge of Christ. This calling is amazing. It not only reveals our sinfulness, it also enlightens to our mind the knowledge of Christ. Wow! God sent His own unique Son. He came and did that which we couldn't do. Wow! The knowledge of Christ. He really is the eternal Son of God. He is in bodily form the fullness of God. He really did pay the price for our sins on the cross. That tomb really was empty. Our sins really are forgiven. We really have new life in Christ. In Christ Jesus, He enlightens our minds that we can now see we're new creatures in Christ. A whole new identity. This is part of the effectual calling and enlightening our minds to the knowledge of Christ and renewing our wills. People say, well, you know, didn't I have the ability to choose God on my own? No. Your nature, your ability as a sinner just like mine cannot change unless God changes it for us. And we will always choose by nature sin. That is our natural born nature. So God has to come first. And it's so gracious that God comes to us first. He initiates with us. Listen, how arrogant of us to think that we ever initiate with God. We're sinners dead in our trespasses and sin. God is the one who reveals to us our sin and misery. God is the one who reveals to us our knowledge, of saving knowledge in Jesus Christ. God is the one who renews our wills, who gives us now a new nature so that we now have the ability to reach out to Christ. Not only that, He does persuade and enable us to embrace Jesus Christ freely offered in the Gospels. It's this amazing call that does all of this. And listen, it's all God. It's all grace. It's all amazing. And he wants us to think about this call. He says, man, now work, walk worthy of the call. It's an amazing call of God that has made us completely new. He even persuades us and enables us to love Jesus. Faith itself is a gift. It's amazing from start to finish. And now, because of this reality, this monumental change in our lives should have monumental changes in our shoe leather. We really must live differently because we are now different. We are a brand new creature in God's eyes. We have been given new life. How crazy to now walk in deadness of life. God has set us free. So we need to walk worthy of our calling. What does that mean? It means this. We need to walk in love. We saw it in verse, chapter 5, verse 2. Walk in love. Why? I love this. We can't miss this, Orangewood. Why? Because we are dearly beloved children. Did you hear that? Walk in love. Why? Because you are ridiculously, lavishly loved in me. Walk in love. Why? Because you are mine. This is not a conditional walk saying, gee, I hope God loves me. i got to work. i got to work. i got to work because I want to earn his love. I want to earn his love. I don't want to lose his love. He said, no, 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 it's not conditional. Oh, well, it really is conditional. But all of the conditions for a holy God to love you have been met in Christ Jesus. All of the requirements, all of them have been met in Christ. They're completely fulfilled. And the penalty we deserve was completely paid. And now walk in love because you are loved. He says, now walk in light. What is this wisdom? Now walk in light. 
Why? Because we're children of light. Not so we might earn the light, so someday He might approve of us. Why do we walk in light? Because we are children of light. Jesus came into the darkness and says, I'm the light of the world. I'm the light of the world. The darkness will not overcome me. The darkness may not understand me, but this light will shine forever. The same light that spoke creation into existence is the light that speaks recreation into existence. The recreation of who we are in Christ. And now he says, now that you're mine, because Christ in you, the hope of glory, Christ in you, now you are the light of the world. Amazing. Now you are the light. So because we are children of light, we now walk in light. That's who we are. And then it says this, walking in the will of the Lord. Verse 5.17. Walking in the will of the Lord. What does it mean to walk in the will of the Lord? That's the, that's the $10,000 question right there. Or 64000 or how many thousands you want to throw on it. But listen to what Hitchens says in his book. Listen to what Hitchens says. He says this about Darwin and Hawking and Crick. These intellectuals that I'm sure are on the top five as well. He says, these men are more enlightening when they are wrong or when they display their inevitable biases than any falsely modest person of faith who is vainly trying to square the circle and to explain how he, a mere creature of the Creator, can possibly know what the Creator intends. He's basically saying, how in the world can you little feeble people of faith ever really know what the Creator really intends? That these men in their arrogance, even when they're wrong, these men in their biases, they're so much more wise than you. How in the world, seriously, that's, that's a good question. How in the world can the finite know the infinite? How in the world can sinners like us know the will of the Lord? Well, God reveals it to us. And what we have to realize is this, is that God's will is clearly seen throughout the book of Ephesians. We've been going through this. And the will in the book of Ephesians, listen, this is important, is His will for our salvation. It's His will to make us new. It's His will to make us one. When you read about God's will in the book of Ephesians, it's not talking about what job you should take. That's important too. Or who you should marry. Or what you should have for lunch. God is sovereign. His hand of providence is everywhere. And we believe that He has a will toward everything. But Paul is specifically talking about what God's will for us is in becoming His children. And he makes it really clear. Look at Ephesians 1.4. Ephesians 1.4 says that He chose us, God the Father chose us in Christ when? Before the foundation of the world. Wow, it must be unconditional if it's before the creation of the world. That He chose us in Christ before the foundation of the world to be what? Anybody see it? In 1-4, to be what? What's His will? To be holy, to be set apart, and to be blameless. That's His will. What is the will for His children? It's to be holy, to be set apart, to have a standard like His, to be blameless. And again, remember, not to try to earn something, but because we have it all to reflect who He is. Why does God want us holy and blameless? Because we're His! And guess what? He's holy and blameless. It's not so He can love us. He's already loved us. What is His will for us? Well, it says it in Ephesians 2.10. It says that we now are His workmanship. We are His masterpiece. All of creation is His workmanship. 
But we in Christ Jesus, we are that masterpiece. We are His workmanship created in Christ Jesus. Why? To do good works. That is His will. For us to walk in them. For us to be a living testimony that Jesus is our King. For us to be a living testimony that God is our, uh, our, our King and our God and our sovereign ruler and we are His ambassadors. It's, for the, it's His will for us to do good works, to love Him with all of our heart, soul, mind, and strength. To love our neighbors as ourselves, To give to those in need. To show charity. To lead with love. To do good works. That is God's will for us. Not so much talking about your personal will for your life, but I can't let this go without saying a few things about God's personal will for your life. Two things. One is this. God will never contradict himself. God will never contradict himself. If he has revealed something in Scripture clearly, he doesn't change his mind for your life. I've heard it several times as a pastor. I know that it says, Jeff, that you know we should honor your father and mother, but you don't know my father and mother. I know it says in life that we shouldn't commit adultery, but if loving her is wrong, I don't want to be right. And how could it be wrong if it feels so right? And I tell you, that's how stupid we are in sin. We're going to say it feels so good, God really can't be down on this, you know? He made me this way. He gave me these desires. It's his fault that I fell in love with her. It's his fault that, that, that I've cheated. It's his fault that I've done these. He should never have tempted me. He should never have put this in my life. Let me tell you something. That is from the pit of hell, and it smells like smoke. So if your life is colliding with God's word, and God is clearly re- revealed, don't think that he's ever going to contradict himself, ever. So if you're worried about are you in God's will or not, look closely to God's Word. It reveals His character. It reveals His desire for us. And He'll always, listen, He's not a cosmic killjoy. He's not just trying to mess with your life. He's not just trying to keep you from really enjoying life. And somehow in our, in our pathetic feebleness, we think He does. Listen, He loves us as his children. How do you love your children? Don't you want the best for them? I mean, your children, you would would saw off your right arm for them if you had to with a rusty butter knife. And we're sinners. How much does a father love us and want to lavish love upon us? The things he tells us to do and not do really, truly, ultimately are for our good and his glory. You want to find yourself? You want to enjoy life abundantly? Look no farther than Jesus. There's where we find life and life abundantly. God's will. Okay, God's will for us to walk, walk carefully. God's will for us is to redeem the time. Look again in verses 16 and 17. He says it to us in verse 15, don't be unwise. Now he says, make the best use of the time. I love that. I meditated so much on the fact that, that the, what is the best use? What is redeeming? Literally buying back the time here in the Greek because the days are evil. Therefore, do not be foolish, but understand what the Lord's will is. How do we choose our time? Here's the bottom line with this. Those who are wise choose their time wisely. They say that in your lifetime, you'll probably remember three or four sermons. You know how humbling that is for a preacher? (laughs) 
Every Sunday, I'm like, I hope this is it. (laughs) You'll remember three or four sermons, but one of the sermons I remember was preached by Andy Stanley, an amazing preacher up in the Atlanta area. And and the name of his sermon right away captivated me. It was called Choose to Cheat. I'm thinking, okay, let's see how he's going to do this one, you know? Choose to Cheat. And he preached out of Daniel 1, and, and, I, and I have some argument a little bit of how he got to where he got with Daniel 1, but I think he showed amazingly uh, great insight. And he said this, he said, you do not have enough time in the day, and nor do I, to do all the things that life demands of you. Is it true? Young mom, is it true? Teenager, is it true? Businessman or woman, is it true? Doctors, lawyers, teachers, is it true? Do you have enough time to do all the things in your daytime? Or if you do, God bless you. And I don't know, I want to know you, man. Write books and make millions and tithe to the church. But the rest of us, (laughs) the rest of us, we don't have time to do everything. So we must choose. We must choose wisely to redeem our time. And let me tell you a couple things that we got to make sure we consider because we don't have time for everything. And I am realizing that so much right now in the stage of my life. As a father of four, as a senior pastor here, as a wife who's going through cancer treatments, as all that we want to do, and it's, you can't, you got to choose. What can you do and what are you not going to do? At the end of the day, it haunts me and I know at the end of the day it haunts you. What we didn't do. And let me tell you what we got to do when we think about what to do and what not to do. First of all, we got to be kingdom focused. You ever heard of that? Kingdom focused. The Gospel of Matthew in 6.33 says, Seek ye first the kingdom of God. The very first thing that we need to be is kingdom focused. Not just here at church, but in all that we do. With all of your business clients. With all of your neighbors. The bottom line of choosing your time wisely is what brings God glory. What is going to advance His kingdom? And it may be upside down. It may be missing an appointment to love a neighbor. It may be missing a deal to show integrity. I don't know what it is. But I do know when it comes to redeeming, buying back the time from the evil days that are existing right now, is this. they got to be kingdom focused. You're a kingdom ambassador. You represent a king. You represent his kingdom, his principles, his victory. That's where we need to start. Kingdom focused. Secondly is this. Family focused. Your personal family. Uh, those of you who are married, listen, they can replace you in the office. They can't replace you in home. Family focused. A family, it's amazing. We get applauded for being great in the areas of our work or in the areas of academics. They applaud us on the athletic field. Who applauds us for being a wonderful mom? Who applauds us for being a wonderful dad? Who applauds us for being an obedient kid? But be family focused. Why? Because it begins there. And listen, don't fail at home and succeed in the marketplace because ultimately that's failure. And if you want to be a leader, men and women, be a leader in your home first. That's your church. That's your pulpit. Don't fail there. That's why we come alongside you with our student ministry, our children's ministry, our school ministries coming alongside you. It needs to be first kingdom focus, second family focus. And we got to be careful of this. When I preached on the 10 deadly sins at Orangewood, I, pre- I preached on the reality that our families could become our idol. And we could become really out of balance with our family. And we've got to be on our knees and say, God, I want to be family focused, but I don't want this to be an idol in my life. And it's also your, your, your family here. 
This needs to be a priority. If it's true, and it is according to Scripture, that the church is God's primary vehicle to advance His kingdom, if we are the light of the world, if we are a city on a hill together, this has got to be your focus. Church is so easily passed by. Equipping centers, I'll go, I won't go. I mean, I, I don't, listen, we need you. God has called you here. He's given us your gifts for us to shine and to be all that God has called us to be. Kingdom focus, family focus, balanced. My dad loves to say, diet, rest, and exercise. Diet, rest, and exercise. I don't know what he's trying to say to me, but diet, rest, and exercise. You need those things. You need to be balanced. There's times of being out of balance. I know a lot of accountants. You know, ask them to be balanced on October 14th is a stupid thing, you know. It's tax time. But you should have Christ in your life in all that you do. And all that you do is Christ at the center. It's not, you know, sometimes we think about a balanced life. Like, okay, let me say that. I have God first, family next, work third. I have this fourth. No, no, does life work that way? It's just too much of a ball and a mess. And I think what he wants is to be the center of your family, the center of your work, the center of your education, the center of your relationship, the center of your marriage, the center of your parenting. The balance is this bringing Jesus into all of it and let him be king and lord over all of it. And, you know, balance is so elusive, and I, I'm certainly guilty of being out of balance many times, but making sure that he is over all of it. Redeeming the time. Last, last point about redeeming the time is this. Don't let it be determined by others. Everybody's got an agenda for you. They're going to want to tell you how to use your time. And listen, and they're going to tell you how to spend your time. There's times you're going to have to listen. You're going to have bosses. There's things you're going to have to do. But if you're living your life trying to please others, you never will succeed. And you'll have a weary life and you'll have, at the end of the day, a joyless life. Take it from one who continually tries. Ultimately, we've got to see our time is given to us by God. How do you want me to redeem it, God? For your kingdom, for your glory, for my family, for this church, for this community. And I know that each one of you would maybe say, gee, I wish that you would spend your time more here or more there or more here. And I've got to hear all of that. And because the wise walk with the wise and they listen to a multitude of counselors and then they get on their knees and say, God, what do you want me to do? I know that's what i got to do in my own life. I can't let it be determined by others. The wise have spirit-filled strides in verses 18 through 21. He's interesting here. He's talking about the difference between living a drunken life and a spirit-filled life. I want to take us to Psalm 100. Psalm 100 summarizes these verses so beautifully that Paul is making. Really, everything he says is seen here in Psalm 100. It says, Make a joyful noise to the Lord, all the earth. Serve the Lord with gladness. Come into His presence with singing. Know that the Lord, He is God. It is He who made us, and we are His. We are His people, the sheep of His pasture. Enter into His gates with thanksgiving, and His courts with praise. There should be a song on our lips. Give thanks to Him. Bless His name, for the Lord is good. His steadfast love endures forever and His faithfulness to all generations. The reality of a God who has rescued us. The reality of a God who loves us. The reality of a God who has set us free. The reality of a God who indwells us through His Holy Spirit. The reality that we are beloved children. The reality that we are children of light. The reality that we are new creatures in Christ should cause us to rejoice. 
should cause us to be thankful, should cause us to sing and have a song in our hearts, even when we battle cancer, even when we lose our spouses, because we know our King of Kings wins. We know that He's not done with us. There should be a song in our hearts to each other and a song that we sing to Him. Spirit-filled walk versus a drunken stupor. Alcohol is a depressant. It will change who you are and the way you think and the way you act. Don't let something control your mind apart from Christ. The Holy Spirit is not a depressant. It's a stimulant. It's a stimulant to cause you to live in a manner worthy of the Gospel. Have a Spirit-filled life and you will be whistling through life in a way that is singing a song vertically to one another. It says, greet one another with hymns and psalms and spiritual songs. There should be joy in our hearts to one another. We should remind one another of the hope we have in Christ. And there should be a vertical song and a horizontal song as well. A horizontal and vertical to Him as we sing His praises for what He has done. I get so nervous when Jack says we want to try something new and we want to sing out here and we want to be in there. I'm like, what in the world? We got a good thing going on. Why are you messing with it? But it's the people who sing. Okay, we'll try it. I got a friend, David Outing. His church doesn't right now have the money for musical instruments. So they say, bring a joyful song with you to church and sing. Come with a song in your heart and we'll sing together. And I think what we're trying to do through this experiment, they're realizing through reality that the song of Christ resounds with our hearts with or without a band. And the reality of what Christ has done should make us sing. We should sing with thankful hearts for what Christ has done for you. And lastly, we should sing with humble hearts. If Christ Jesus is in you, church of the living God, nothing shall be beneath you when it comes to serving one another. Serving one another. We're going to start talking next week about husbands and wives and then children and then in the workplace. And we're going to see that we are to submit to one another and it begins here with a Spirit-filled life. If Christ is in you and you revere, you have reverence for Him, submit to one another. How do we do all this? We imitate Christ. We imitate Christ and follow God's own fool named Jesus. I want to read you this poem called God's Own Fool. It's really a song by Michael Card. It talks about Jesus. Listen to these words. If I've missed you, come back in. Seems I've imagined Him all of my life as the wisest of all of mankind. But if God's holy wisdom is foolish to man, He must have seemed out of His mind. For even His family said He was mad, and the priests said a demon's to blame. But God in the form of this angry young man could not have seemed perfectly sane. We in our foolishness thought we were wise. He played the fool and He opened our eyes. And we in our weakness believed we were strong. And He became helpless to show we were wrong. And so we follow God's own fool, for only the foolish can tell. Believe the unbelievable and come be a fool as well. So come lose your life for a carpenter's son, for a man who died for a dream. 
And you'll feel the faith His first followers had. And you'll feel the weight of the beam. And surrender the hunger to say you must know. And have the courage to say I believe. For the power of paradox opens your eyes and blinds those who say they can see. We in our foolishness thought we were wise and He played the fool and He opened our eyes. And we in our weakness believed we were strong and He became helpless to show we were wrong. And so we follow God's own fool for only the foolish can tell. Believe the unbelievable and come be a fool as well. So we follow God's own fool for only the foolish can tell. Believe the unbelievable and come be a fool as well. Oh, how I wish, I really do, that Christopher Hitchens knew the joy of the foolishness of Christ. And anybody here who has yet to embrace Christ as Savior, that is our hope and prayer that you will know God's wisdom. And oh, my OPC family, may we now walk in God's wisdom as fools for Christ. Because Jesus is our wisdom. Jesus is our Savior. Jesus is our life. Jesus is our righteousness. Jesus is our sanctification. Jesus is our redemption. And now we live our lives in light of God's own fool named Jesus. Come be a fool as well. Let us pray. Oh, Father, we praise You. We praise You that Your wisdom and Your power at the end of the day wins the day. And that, Father, through Your grace and mercy, we can have life in Christ Jesus. God, I pray for anyone here today that has never come to the place where they've placed their faith and trust in Christ, that today would be the day that, Father, they realize the foolishness of their sinfulness and they turn to Christ as their Savior. And for the rest of us, God, we thank You that in Christ You don't see us as fools, that You told us to be wise, to redeem our time, and to walk Spirit-filled lives for Your glory. Oh, Father God, come to Orangewood and make this a place filled with God's fools for Christ. We pray this in Christ's name. Amen. Let's stand as we sing this last song together.